to the Wellbeing Rebellion, the podcast that's changing workplace cultures for good. We're your hosts, Ngazi Wella and Obehi Alafoje. Let's get this rebellion started. Right, Rebels. So, earlier this year, when we first started out with the Wellbeing Rebellion, Obi and I made a few predictions as to what workplace well-being would look like in 2023. And now, since the year is drawing to a close and the, the nights are getting long and it's time for us to reflect on just how well we did. Is Mystic Meg's job under threat? Were we actually able to predict the future? And we might even attempt to make a few predictions for next year but don't hold us to them. So should we see how we did? Yeah. Okay. The first prediction that we made was that defining a mental health strategy and investing in it would be a top priority, even in challenging and uncertain times. Was it? What do you think? I don't. I, I don't. I think the gloomy economic outlook in the beginning of the year that people remember that people were trying to like increase the price of the gas then, and we're trying to get what was the government was trying to help people pay their bills in the gas. I mean, um, it was not <laughs> that wasn't a very good time. So I suspect that that hadn't quite worked out. I think that that affected the amount of investing the company would have wanted to do. I think we found companies a bit more reluctant to spend. Mm. That's kind of how I feel like it was in that way. I mean, even though they know, oh, yeah, mental health would be great for all our employees, and it made sense that they would do that. But I think circumstances, I got, circumstances affected that, I think. What we, what we specifically said was, Despite the fact that it was tough times financially, um, we expected the forward thinking, what we call proactive businesses, would understand that looking after an employee's well-being not only makes life better for the employee, but also increases productivity and therefore profitability, right? And we know that organizations that focus on the quick fix solutions the one hour webinars and and uh, the the quick talks and guest speaks they don't reap the rewards of those investments and that's still true that's still true what what we haven't seen is many organizations feeling comfortable to invest what they consider disposable income or discretionary spend on significant transformative well-being programs or strategies. Um, We're still seeing a lot of companies talking a good talk, wanting to, and maybe this is me and my cynical mind, but wanting to be seen to care about well-being but not really getting that to care means to act, to care means to change. 
I mean, the the fact that we've changed the 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 uh, purpose of our business from supporting mental health and well-being to providing culture change in an organisation is an indication of just how um, pervasive the the strategies, tools, processes, behaviours, everything that you need to do has to be if you want to truly promote good mental health and well-being in the workplace. And that's a, that seems to have been a, a really large undertaking that's just one step too far for most organisations. I mean, yeah. with, with finance being something that is still uncertain, it's what's called VACA, isn't it? Mm. Volatile, uncertain, what's the other thing? Change and something else I can't remember now. Um, well, with with all of that ambiguity, that's it. Um, with all of that instability in the economic markets, more trouble brought on by Ukraine, and now we've got the issue in Israel. Um, companies are wanting to hold on to whatever reserves, cash reserves they have, and and make do and mend, or what you call Frankensteining still. Mm. even though I think they do understand it's not effective. Mm. So the people that we work with yeah. know that you need to do something um, which is more than a Band-Aid or a sticking no. plaster. I, I thought I still feel like at this stage, end of the year, um, that I think it's, oh, we've done well-being. I think that's what it is. I still feel like... It's like it's now in this weird term. So just like the, like, oh, yeah, yeah, something, some sort of buzzwords and things to use. I don't know. And because it's not, I think words like sustainability is still strong. You see what I mean? So, and yet it's similar to the same thing. It's, it's what we're trying to say. How do you sustain your employees? Do they continue to work hard? They continue to thrive there? Could it, you can make bottom line profit. That part, I think on the surface, people get. I don't think that the most senior leadership get hit. I think it's still they're still being driven by their shareholder stuff. So I can see the point of view there. I, I know of a conference last month, which was some sort of manufacturing conference or whatever, two-day conference. And I looked at the highlights, you know, the the um the um Agenda. Two days. Not one panel, keynote, topic on mental health or DEI. It's like it's just fallen off. So that tells me that they feel like it's all done. And now it's time for the real work because financially organizations are struggling, blah, 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 blah. Mm. So that's my thought. Right? It's like, oh, it's like, okay. The fact that we predicted it would be top priority, even in uncertain time, it's like it's not even the agenda in some conferences. Yeah, that's so really that's like a whole upside down kind of metric. I don't know what it looked like. Obviously, some industries will carry on, you know, depend on it. But I'm just saying how that was quite a shocker. Yeah, but that being said, I still see a lot of people talking about well-being, mental health, and workplace well-being still being. Um, 
top in many n- newspaper or industry yeah. magazines and yeah. LinkedIn. And so the, that's what I mean by they're willing to talk to talk the talk, just not walk the walk. walk. They're still, you're right, they're still doing things like the one hour well health and wellbeing webinar. Yeah. We're still asked to be to do them. With you know, if you listen to our podcast in the early in the year, you would have heard we have a problem with the one hour and that only one hour. You don't do anything else. It's just a tick box exercise. So people are still doing that because at least it's something. Mm. So the budget doesn't stress. So that's why they're doing so in other words, it's not that they're picking one hour webinar because they know it'll work or something, or they think it'll work like that. I think they know it's not going to, but what choice do they have? And I'm talking about they, I mean, HR leaders, DEI leaders, culture leaders, yeah. people who are trying Our to bring this in. You guys. And you guys are doing all this stuff. So I know that it's a case of saying, I only got £500 for this piece of work, so I'm not going to get a programme for that. Um, I might get a keynote talk. I might you get a one-hour webinar. So... Let's do that. I think a lot of people are going to get stuff from Mind for free. I think even Mind can't cope with, oh, my God, all of you stop asking us for free stuff because we, we also need to raise funds too. But they're also overwhelmed. So there's my thought process around that prediction of that they will. And some companies have, by the way. So we do know companies who have decided this was important to them. But actually, this brings us to the next prediction. Building an inclusive company culture will be high on the agenda for 2023 and I think this is the part that got shifted in other words let's look at the company culture on a whole as opposed to specifically about health well health and well-being or whatever like that so I think the culture people have started to broaden out okay what is the culture of our organization um because it was the bird word this year um but I think People understand, employees and employers understand that they, if their employees feel included and they feel that their values are closely aligned with the company values and culture, then they're more likely to be comfortable there, happy and stay. So I think that part is still true. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah. Um, and there's also, what I've also seen is there's now an understanding that if you notice, you can't cure culture in a one-hour webinar. I think everybody understands that compared to well-being, menopause, uh, what's the other topic people like to ask us about, neurodiversity stuff, that they can tick box in one hour. But when you talk about culture, I think it's very clear and obvious that it's broader and bigger and it's ridiculous to think that you can change that in one month so that they know that it takes time. And they also know that you can't quite nickel and dime your way out of that. It takes intentional strategy, resources and money. And I think some companies that we we know of have had to budget and put aside funds against it for next year so that they can tackle some aspects of the culture that they want to address. What about prediction number three? Money, money, money. Ain't it funny? It's still a rich man's world. And we predicted that companies would be providing more financial well-being and support, which was something that we'd never heard of before. Uh, The idea that money, talking about money, your salary, what you could afford, was not, not only acceptable, but 
but necessary for your well-being in the workplace. Um, and we thought that businesses would would recognise that they've got a, a responsibility to help their employees cope during this ongoing financial crisis that we find ourselves in and support them navigating through the various very practical real life challenges that those bring um so were we yeah. right on this one unfortunately uh, uh, yeah, yeah yeah i think we are yeah I it, think... it's still living with us this cost of living crisis exactly. i'm gonna wait it's impact on health build have gone up again so um yeah and it was also on the basis that the Surveys from the Royal College of Physicians were indicating that over half the population had seen rising cost of living, which would now negatively infect, uh, impacting their health. So I'd imagine with, like most things, uh, humans, we, ad- we adapt, don't we? We adjust to things, but there are some things that you can't adjust to. Inflation, you can't adjust to that. There's a limit to how much your money will go further to be able to pay bills and, and buy food. So... Um, we were right on that one. And so companies have had to offer more, offer education around financial support. I know that some companies brought in consultants to talk, help people with their finances and just to keep on top of that kind of thing. We met with a company um, that was doing that. So they go to companies and then anybody who wants to talk about financial issues or their portfolios or whatever, they will help them sort that out. And it was for free so that people can leverage their finances as best as possible. But that's on one hand, on one side of things where, okay, help you make more money and manage the money. Then there was another side of things where they had staff literally on food banks or going to food banks to get to supplement at home. And so we know of a luxury hotel chain um, who we met their head of people. And one of the things that they said was that, you know, making sure that all their staff ate three square meals a day when working with them. So if you come for a shift for that day, you will definitely have your breakfast, you have your lunch, and then you can take dinner home if you wanted to. And the idea is that they can save money on buying other things. Um, they will have their uniform washed, so the laundry takes mm. care of that. So it was just a way, because again, service staff are not necessarily earning a lot of money at all. So it'd be very easy for them to find themselves on the breadline. So that was uh, one of the cases that we came across. In another case with that law firm, didn't it? So Yeah, where we, we'd be engaging with them for a while, hoping to do some of the transformational work that we do, the longer-term programs about upskilling leaders and things like that. But unfortunately, they've had to divert focus on the more basic stuff of increasing salaries because they've got employees who are really really struggling um more and more companies are finding that they've got uh employees who are accessing the eaps to talk about their financial concerns and its impact on their physical or mental health who are in full-time work but still visiting banks to support them Mm. that kind of stuff it's it's really disheartening, saddening, maddening, infuriating to think that that is happening in Britain in 2023, but it is. Um, and it's a Maslow's hierarchy of needs mm-hmm. thing. If that's the case, then, yeah, absolutely, you as an employer have a responsibility to make sure that the people who are working for you are able to meet their basic needs. Yeah, Okay, and uh, that brings us to prediction four. So committing to diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
will be key for employee well-being. Mm. There was research that was done back in December 22 by Gallup, and that found that employees who felt discriminated against in the previous 12 months were more than twice as likely to report high levels of burnout. From personal experience, I can attest that is absolutely true. And black employees who feel strongly that they have the same opportunities for advancement as other employees are 55% less likely to report feeling burnt out on a regular basis. Again, it's not that these statistics aren't true or that the research was somehow um, faulty or spurious. It's that there has been a lot of attention on DEI this year. And I, f- I feel there's still such a long way to go. I do think it's had more traction than well-being and yeah. mental health. Definitely had more investment made um, and more commitments made in this area. What I'm starting to see is a little bit of, um, well, DEI is everybody, yeah, right? Yeah. Which it is. But the focus of this and what kicked started this um, resurgence in the the prominence of equity, diversity and inclusion discussions was George Floyd. Mm. And we were talking specifically about racial equity and inclusion in the workplace. Um, and there was no shyness about saying we're focusing on how our black or as new term I've heard, BBP are black, Bangladeshi and Pakistani. So the three most marginalized um, race or the most marginalized peoples in the workplace, how they are being included, how they are being treated in the workplace. There was no shyness about it. Mm There seems to have been a little bit of so a little true. bit more generalization. I think mm. that comes back to the we've only got one pot of money. And yeah. if we focus it only on black people, then what, what about, about everybody else? There's a bit of me too, me too. Mm. Um and that's disappointing again. Yeah, I mean I I, I almost I we, we understand it. It's not there's no endless amount of money, but I think it's about trying to be smart with it. I still think that organizations don't know how to quite handle this so they do the the great thing which is to hire someone to whose work whose job that is you know so you have a head of DEI global head of DEI to go this role and it's their job to do that but then somehow they do that with one hand tied behind their back so they're not given what they required now a lot of the conversation we've been having when you focus on the most marginalized you also provide support for everybody else it just did because it allowed you to see things on a very basic level and to see basic needs that are not being met to be able to now go everybody else can benefit from that information but i think there's a level of conflict i think when it comes to racial equity um people feel like it's divisive or something and it's like it's not really divisive it's just that it's uncomfortable and conversations mm. are uncomfortable right now we have your Jewish colleagues who are very traumatized. You have your Muslim colleagues who are also traumatized at the moment. 
And so it's not a case of we can't talk about those. Yeah, they also need support. Why is the support? But if you talk about support you already had for your most affected day to day, then you will also have had in place. It'd be easy if you now say, right, that therapist we got for the last lot, <laughs> let's engage them again. That company that we provided to support our people, black people, when they were struggling. It's the same company that you can bring back in again if they have the required um, people to address those. So you don't have to start looking for them. You already had them on the books. You already have relationship with them. So a lot of the companies that we've worked with have had support for their Jewish colleagues and their Muslim colleagues because they already had support in place for the black colleagues a couple of years ago. You see mm. what I mean? So they, it's not at odds with each other, but you cannot keep hiding from it. I think some companies have done a really good job. In the law industry last year, there was a, a a report, a study called the One Percent Study, which Kaida and I have referenced so many times, I suppose, in, on this course, on this podcast episode, um, about the fact that this research done by Essence it, last year or the year before, I think it was Extense. Extense. Um, that they found that less than one percent of managing partners or even partners of major law firms in the UK are black. 0.67% of that kind of number. So it got wrapped up in a nice sexy bow of 1%. And because of this, though, and it was done in, in um, collaboration with some major law firms. Um, and so for them, look at the conversation that come up. So they are interested and it's something that is important for them to address. They're still digesting how they might go about that there, but they're having conversations about how they might implement some of those ideas. So I think it's one of the half and half. I think it just mm. depends on the organisation, depends on the makeup of the organisation and depends on the quality of those leaders about what, 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 how they, when they say they want everybody to feel included, how well do they mean that will determine what the result of those um, things are. But it's by no means an easy job because nobody said it was going to be easy. No one said it was going to be comfortable and no one said it was not going to cost money. <laughs> Mm. Right. It's just I think I I just think when money's scarce, uh, it's easy to default to your your usual uh, operations as normal, mm. and and the the progressive projects that you had hoped to engage with become less and less important. Mm. One thing in the DEI space that has uh, continued to, to make some some noises that new of diversity and the the flexibility and um, that's required around supporting your colleagues um, who either have a neurodi- neurodiverse diagnosis um, or who may not have a diagnosis because we all know the pressure on the NHS to mm-hmm. get diagnostically recognised, but mm-hmm. who um, struggle or have the same challenges. That's something that I think many companies are starting to embrace now. And that's something that, uh, you know, again, we champion, we champion any flexibility, any um, approach that means that whoever you are and whatever you come with, you can feel that the workplace is somewhere where you belong and where you can thrive and where you can have the potential to be at your very best and you're supported by your your colleagues and your managers and the processes and systems, all of that stuff is what helps you to maintain 
positive mental health and well-being in the workplace. So happy with the with the focus on neurodiversity, but I think that's that's something that will continue through next year. That's the first of my 2024 predictions. Okay, so the final prediction we made was 2023 we see renewed investment in manager L and D. Learning and development. Okay, this was on the basis that there was a people management survey that said 96% of HR and learning development professionals predicted a surge in staff training budget for the next year because they had done the, um, not a risk assessment, what it needs analysis that says a lot of managers and staff needed training on um, leadership. Some of them had been promoted but not really necessarily skilled. Others needed to be trained around mental health and well-being. Others needed to be trained in inclusive leadership, yada, yada, yada. Because that was the prediction. What do you think? Based on, and also that who uh, World Health Organization had also stipulated that it need people companies needed to provide mental health training um, for managers to help reduce the risk of burnout in the workplace. So on that basis, you can see why we predicted that there will be renewed investment. Hmm. I, I think this prediction is also a victim of the financial curse of twenty twenty three. I know a lot of businesses want to invest in their leadership. A lot of leaders are reluctant to invest their time. They don't have any. Why? Well, they're stressed coping with all the stuff that comes with not having this stuff in place, mm. like managing um, issues with, your, with their teams, uh, trying to increase productivity, uh, trying to manage onboarding of new uh, personnel. All the stuff that that points to the fact that you you actually need to support your um, managers so that they can support the rest of your workforce, mm-hmm. so that you you don't have high churn and the employees can be productive and blah 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 blah. Yeah. So I, I think this is um one of those is it the tail chasing the dog things or you can call it a vicious circle, but I think this has been jeopardized. Again, it's what can we do quickly, cheaply, non-invasively that will have the biggest impact? Well, yeah. those those two things don't work. But I did see some movement on things. So we saw more talks and workshops on these topics like menopause, neurodiversity, black mental health. And some companies for the very first time in their organization trying to educate managers on topics like these. So that is only going to be a good thing. But again, similar to the first in its it, one about investment around its area meant that the kind of transformational stuff that we could have done just had to take a, a back seat, really. Yeah, um, uh, but I also worry about this support um, support fatigue or caregivers fatigue or well-being fatigue. I think wherever everybody's fatigued. Yeah. The, the danger of focusing on single subjects, which do deserve attention, Right, they do mental health and um, race, neurodiversity, well-being, men's mental health. All of these topics are worthy of discussion, but putting them as single subjects rather than including them in a general, how do we help everybody be and feel better, regardless of what the issue is that they're having? Exactly. So how do we develop those soft skills that we keep talking about that are are necessary 
for good leadership in in 2023 and beyond the things of empathy and compassion and understanding listening coaching all of that stuff if you just boil it down to a single topic i become overwhelmed with well how am i supposed to um to balance doing the day job doing the leadership role mm-hmm. and caring about all these different niche identities at the same time I can't retain that level of information. No, nobody can. At the point, they're not robot, and managers aren't robot. Managers are people too, and they also have a higher risk of burnout than the frontline staff, simply because not only are they carrying the pressure um, of the top and the bottom, they they are unable to express it or share it because it, it feels like it, uh, you're announcing your weakness, basically, um, and there's no support by how they might deal with it. So there's a higher risk of burnout, higher risk of leaving organizations. You did an opportunity to. Because it's all this stuff, and I think Gallup did a study on that literally a few months ago. So there's still an important group of people that should not be overlooked. They should be prioritised where possible because, it's, again, they are responsible for a large population of people. Therefore, if they're equipped, if they're supported, if they are confident in what they're doing, regardless of what is alien their team members, they will be able to adjust and cope and provide support as quickly as possible. So that part is not going away at all anytime soon. Managers burn out, the whole thing just falls apart. So Mm. there's um, there's no way out for that, that part. So whatever funding anybody wants to have finding, I'm going to be recommending they try and Make sure the managers are supported. Now the question now be managers thinking, I haven't got time for all of this stuff. That could step a conversation, but it's working with them to figure out what how they might access those training and so on and so forth. Well it's but, well, it's working with them coaching. so that they understand the the real benefit, the real, real benefit and the real, yeah. very real risks of so, not doing that yeah. training. Yeah. They'll never dig themselves out of that hole. But yeah. I think it's just this is just a beware of the danger of the single story. I know yeah. when we are looking at the year ahead, we will be looking at the calendar of days, the calendar of international and nationally recognized days. And what's the scramble to do all of them? In mm-hmm. January, it's this, in February, it's this, in March, it's this. The danger of Focusing only on the single story is that you miss the thread that pulls them all together. I think you need to focus on that rather than the single story. Make sure that when when you're celebrating or recognising or highlighting or raising awareness about whichever particular issue or concern is the topic of the month, that the people who you're raising this to understand that it's a certain set of skills or a certain amount of empathy and compassion that is required for all of them. There's there's commonalities between all of them and your approach as a manager or as a colleague needs to be quite similar. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's going to happen next year? I don't know. We don't know, but we're going to attempt to at least provide some something that will still remain. So we've got two wars on the go right now, right? So it's all uncertain anyway, even before we enter next year. So 
it, we can predict that people will still be upset, people will still be triggered, and your Jewish and Muslim colleagues will still need support and all of that stuff, and you will need to help shepherd them through this time, right? As for the future of work topics like leadership, culture, DIB, employee engagement, they will all continue. There's no changes there. But what the focus will be on will be case by case, company by company, based on their circumstances and what's going on for them and what crisis has arisen in organization. A um, couple of organizations that we work for, it was literally an incident in a, in a department that set up a chain of events of things that we supported them with. So sometimes I always say that people pay for pain, not you know vitamins. So this will still be the case. People will pay, companies will do what's required based on the pain that they experience. It's again, high, uh, my hierarchy of needs is going to focus on the basic stuff first. I'll deal with my pain in my leg. And when I've solved that, then I can start thinking about how I might be able to eat healthily. But for now, I need to feed myself and so on and so forth. So I think that that's how it's going to play again next year. Um, I would like companies who are able to do more, to be more forward thinking, to do that and support their staff where they can. For those who are literally fighting fire, then, of course, try and seek some, get some help as soon as possible because it will get worse. That's just the reality of it. People will people, as I like to say. They will do what's needed and they will do what's required. They will be resilient until they cannot continue to do so. So just be prepared for that. So that means your organization, whatever size organization it is, will still need to offer workplace flexibility, for example. The discussion of returning to work has now gone up, so people going back three, four days a week, right? Mm-hmm. That might raise some concerns later. People will probably go, yeah, I'm scared to lose my job, so I'm not going to complain about this three days, four days a week then. In the office. In the office, yeah. Mm-hmm. But it might, you know, keep an eye on that one, <laughs> depending on the organisation. But regardless, though, workplace flexibility means you need to think about making sure it's equitable. So it's flexibility for all employees who might need it. So they're not all the same. So make sure there is some level of flexibility for people to access them, adjusting work hours, allowing for autonomy so that people still get to choose which project they might work on, how they work, their hours that they do work where possible. And of course, being able to evaluate the outcomes. So being able to say, has it worked for us in the last six months or three months when we've put people back in the office, has productivity gone up, are people engaging or are people, or has it just created some level of conflict, whatever that is going to be. So that's one thing I think will still be important next year mm-hmm. is organisation will still need to offer workplace flexibility. I think they're going to continue to have to prioritise mental health. I'm hopeful that that means with genuine investment, not just mild concern, but to focus on making sure that they they can not just support their employees' poor mental health therapeutically, but to prevent it from happening through a thorough examination of processes and people. Um, I think the upskilling of leaders So starting at the C-suite, going right down to line manager level, the upskilling of leaders to be able to have transparent 
communication with their employees. So whether that's difficult conversations or uh, career development and management or sensitive topics like um, personal issues, mental health and well-being, sickness, that ability is going to only increase as we see more of this instability in the in the um in the world yeah um and then i think being able to foster transparent communication with people so you know whatever you're doing you're gonna carry your employees along you've got to have to otherwise the cat it, it erode trust when people don't say what they mean so even just people returning back into the office, why they're returning, just being able to say, listen, we paid this, we paid the rent for this building, we need to use it. Sometimes just being as honest as that, but it's just communicating how you want them to to be, it's communicating what your thought process are, because they can, they can get bought in early, um, asking them for their advice, their support, asking them to share their thoughts and their ideas with you, and then coming back to them on that, we talk about surveys and all the things, but, you know, don't be asking for surveys and focus group if you're not going to do anything about that. You know what I mean? So be honest about, hey, we're going to collect this data, we're going to see what's up, and then this is how we're going to intend to utilise that data to support this group of people or that group of people or everybody. But being honest about that and inviting them, including them in some of these solutions that you're creating. And to me, all roads point to um, leadership training, coaching, um, and also how you as the HR, EDI lead or PNC lead, how you explain to your SLT, the purse holders, particularly CFOs who are often neglected as a stakeholder, but they are the main stakeholder because they say yes to the investment, but they need to understand how investment in all of these things will translate to the bottom line. And that's not just, oh, if you do this, you'll get a 20% uplift, but also the cost of not doing it. How much is it actually costing you in real terms? So point. I think that's something, a skill that, um, that that's really helpful for you to start to develop is the cost of not doing the work that you know you want to do. So those are some of the things we predict. Again, do not hold <laughs> us to it. We do not have crystal balls. No, but, but... This is what we have in our experience seen is increasingly um, occupying the minds of those who are in this well-being space with us. Yeah. So we're going to be running more executive roundtables and workshops next year, 2024, exclusively for head of HR, head of people, head of DEI, head of culture. You get the idea. And the purpose of these conversations is to help all of us gain expert perspective, have discussion, gain insights, share ideas, share best practice with each other, and just for people to just network and connect with each other, because we can't do this alone, and we need to be able to learn from other people. So, if you'd like to attend any of these roundtables next year, just I'm going to put the link in the show note to express your interest in attending, and then we'll send you invitation when we sort out all the dates. So we haven't got the date, but um, yeah, if you'd like to join us, it's usually fun. We enjoy it. We have 
loads of information that we share and ideas and action that people take away and do and these are usually complementary so we never charge for them so and usually in person or online various ones we do so if you'd like to join us next year just let us know and then we'll send you an invite um if you are one of those roles because we'd love to see you we'd love to get involved with some of our fellow rebel rousers so that's it how did we do predicting how 2023 would turn out for workplace well-being yeah there was is a mixed bag no it's not and how did you do let me let, let me know about your predictions as well find us on linkedin just dm me on engagement to say hey this is what i also thought and this is what happened in our organization um so we'd like to hear from you as well okay all right we'll catch you next time, catch you bye, next time. bye thanks for listening to this episode of the well-being rebellion if you liked what you just heard, please share it with your colleagues, follow us on LinkedIn, the link will be in the show notes, and generally show us some love. We want to build a whole army of fellow rebels who want to create positive workplaces for everyone. Will you join the rebellion? See you next time.